This is the Radmars. <sighs> <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you, man. I knew what number it was. He looks confused. Right. Uh, that's because people are fucking stomping around upstairs. I want to wait until they stopped. Uh, Six diggity three. Thanks. <laughs> All right. For real this time. Ten seconds. <laughs> This is the Rad Mars Podcast, episode 63. I'm Andrew Ford. And I'm Brendan Chombley. And I'm Trevor Williams. I almost forgot my name because you didn't say <laughs> Andy Midler. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe a never-before-seen configuration. We are uh, rather short-staffed, as it turns out. I feel like we did this one time a long time ago, the three of us. This well, is a, it's a, It's an unusual one. Mm-hmm. It's it lacks the comic relief characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before before the before we started, we were talking about the balance of boring and bullshit, and then we're mm. we've lost we've lost two two of the five that were mostly on the bullshit side. Yeah, exactly. Well, shit. Okay, so who's going to take up that mantle? Who's just going to basically be you know contributing nonsense this entire time? Whoever isn't the one currently talking, we have to all share this burden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I completely right. I had no uh, this is great this is a really great start <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna no. try to transition to small talk you know yeah right. yeah what's your small talk anyone, give me some small anyone talk. watch any of them summer games done quick yeah I watched a bunch of that it, it kind of uh, very neatly coincided with my vacation so I watched mm. a bunch of runs it's great wait what is this nice. wait Are, you're not familiar with this no Summer games done quick. Is is this the Olympics? <laughs> it's the Olympics. What are you talking it's about? The Nerd Olympics. It's the oh, Nerd okay. Olympics. <laughs> it it is kind of the Nerd Olympics. Um so like have you heard of GDQ? Games done quick? Uh vaguely. Is that like a is it like a, okay. a game jam like a Ludum Dare? No, no, it's a speed run of oh. video games. And it's a twice annual event that they raise money for charity um, by doing things like raffles and sort of offering incentives in terms of if we receive this amount of donations, we'll run this particular game, or we will take one path um, in a game depending on, and you can vote for, you know, one of several paths by donating money and that, you know, your dollars are direct, you know, votes, just like any sort of respectable democracy these days. Hmm. Um, so, for instance, the canonical one that raises, I think, one of the most amounts of money uh, every time they do it is in Super Metroid during the speed run. At the very end, uh, you can either save the animals or leave them to die and save the frames. Um, and so, you know, there's always like an incentive where you can donate to save the animals or donate to leave them to die. And it always raises a lot of money because people feel strongly about the purity of speedruns versus saving cute animals. 
Always kill the animals. Even though the even though saving the animals is canon in the Metroid series, you got to kill the animals. That's the principle mm-hmm. of it. I didn't even know you could save the animals when I played through the game. You know, I beat I, it many times and I never saved the animals. Yeah, Metroid who is ever going to go back to that? There's... So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, go ahead. <laughs> so there's, I guess there's a room where there's just a bunch of random animals in it, and you have to go to save them as the end of the game, as the whole planet is exploding and there's a three minute timer ticking down, you have to go out of your way to go to this room with the animals and like shoot the other side of the room to let them out and save them. (laughs) Okay. Like nobody's going to like do this in like a normal casual playthrough. I don't think like, I didn't even really remember that they were there. If I even saw them in the first place. Specifically who these animals were are they're like the, were they transformed by Dr. Robotnik? (laughs) If only. No, they were a very limited sort of tutorial in the game, actually. Like, the only tutorial in the game that I can think of. Um, So, for instance, when you get the speed boost, um, like, there's uh, one of them that sort of does a sort of, like, speed boost run thing for you. And shows you also that you can crouch and then jump up and sort of, you know, go flying straight up. So, they have some of the animals. And I think there's another one that demonstrates how you can do wall jumps, things like that. So... There's so just a collection of different animals that do things you, like that. You encounter and interact with these sweet, innocent babies throughout the game and then leave and them to die. Yes, or maybe you don't. Because it saves frames. <laughs> saves frames. How many frames? Is it like two frames? Uh, it's a decent amount of time you save, actually. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's really not along the main path. Yeah, you're going probably at least 10 to 20 seconds out of your way, I feel like. That's, it. That's a lot of frames. I think I would measure that in seconds. <laughs> yeah. What are some what are some yeah, other stupid same. questions? Can I can I can I continue to uh undermine the bedrock of the thing you're explaining? What is video game? <laughs> no, you can what ask is, what a speedrun is next. What is speedrun? What is speedrun? Tell me. No, seriously. You wanna handle this one no, for us? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh yeah, so speedrunning is just as the name sort of implies, you're trying to play a game as fast as possible. So In, there's you know, in Metroid, uh, so so sometimes speedruns, you play the game kind of legitimately as fast as possible, and then a lot of cases you take advantage of glitches and junk to get through it quickly. What's the, what's yeah, the case I, here? Yeah, I, I, I object to the word legitimately. Um, just, you know. Oh, ooh, ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, is, what is computer screen? <laughs> and this is why there are different categories of speedruns with different sets of rules. And then, you know, you adhere to those rules and then you qualify for a particular category, so on and so forth. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I guess so, legitimate... like, terminology, terminology wise, there's kind of any percent is sort of the term you'll hear a lot, which is kind of just beat the game as fast as possible. And that differs a lot from game to mm-hmm. game, right? So the yeah. more potential glitches there are on the game, that could be a very, very short amount of time. Yeah, um, I think like in Link to the Past, I think there's a glitch where if you like push all of the direction buttons at once when you're walking through a door, you then end up like sort of underground. And then if you go take a series of uh, directions and then you end up just in the Triforce room. So it's like you leave your house and before you even get the sword, before you get to Hyrule Castle, you get the Triforce and you've beaten the game. And it's like takes you all of like 20 seconds. Yeah, so this is why I think Link to the Past any percent is not exactly a very popular category. So the the main <laughs> category in Link to the Past is is called NMG or no major glitches. And so they actually you can actually see the rules section of the of the site is like which which glitches are allowed in this category and which aren't. Um, just because, sense. you know, 
people have found that you know some some games are so broken it's not fun to do the fastest thing possible so they kind of figure out like okay you can just you know we, people have settled on you know what the more fun thing to do is if you unfold a paperclip and jam it into the cartridge at just the right way at just the right time it just triggers the credit screen and you win like that pretty much so- so we were talking right before we started recording about the fact that uh, Audacity, the software that a lot of us use to record this podcast, recently updated the terms of its license agreement so that they can monetize your data in some way if they sell to a you know another company hypothetically, which oh, they're no. certainly not considering, which is why certainly not why they would update their license agreement prior to such a sale taking place. Um, but. Uh, I read actually recently that one of the main sites that manages um, speed records um, for speed running uh, had a similar thing happen recently where they updated their terms or something like that in order to, to basically give them more ownership over, you know, future records or something like that. And there was a small rebellion or something. I, I don't, I'm not close enough to this community to really understand what this entails, but it's basically like a company trying to monetize the, uh, you know, all of the collected speed runs that people go through the process of verifying and things like that, which seems a little bit scummy. Hmm. Monetize speed run data. It's Just, like all of the records, what? like it's like speedruns.com or it's some site like that. I don't actually know what it is, but it's the one that I think right now is sort of like the canonical site used for keeping records of all of the speed runs of all of these categories of all of these games. Um, which actually ends up being a bit of a project, both because there's a lot of project, there's a lot of categories and a lot of games, but also because you need to verify uh, these speed runs and make sure that people aren't cheating on them. Which, of course, you know, uh, there have been other exciting things with recently, like what's his face in Minecraft? Uh, Dream. Dream. That's the one. I was going to call him Star or Spud or something. But yeah, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, Lots man, of opportunity. What What the hell did he do? I'm I'm now I'm curious about this. <laughs> What wow. is Minecraft? You know, <laughs> you know, for just sort of like a casual introduction, like, ah, oh, this is a nice sort of like, you know, you know, spot by spot, um, you know, descent further and further into the realm of speedrunning madness. Yeah. So uh, first off, Minecraft is apparently the most popular speedrunning game out there, which I didn't realize or wouldn't I've have expected. I've seen some speedruns. It's it, actually fairly complex to do. You have, there's like a few major oh, steps. There's a decent amount of randomness involved in getting like finding some of the things in time. It's cool. And yeah, actually, I think the first person I ever watched do it was Dream. And he did it whilst he did it whilst something else bad was happening. I think his friend was trying to murder him or a black hole was overtaking the world. They just did some weird mod, right? And then speedrun while this mm-hmm. mod is happening, basically. Yep. So anyway, I, so it's a popular speedrunning game. Um, but so the recent drama is, you know, Dream had set some sort of record or whatnot. And then when people were reviewing it to verify it, uh, to admit it into, you know, as an official record, they did a bit bit of probability analysis and realized, no, these drop rates are definitely fucked up. These are definitely Uh not normal vanilla drop rates. The drop rates for like ender pearls or something have been dramatically jacked up. Um, And then when eventually confronted with this dream got super defensive he's like no 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 everything's great everything's above board blah 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 how dare you you know fuck you fuck you and your family because you're all terrible people for possibly questioning me um and then later on when it was pushed forward and i think he actually like got someone to publish a paper in defense of him saying statistically it is actually possible 
um, that Dream didn't cheat in the same way that it is statistically possible to get dealt a royal flush in poker as an opening hand, you know? Nice. It is possible in the world. These things do happen. Therefore, it's possible that he's not cheating. And that that, that was my understanding of the defense. Uh, well, as I, think, I think the, the thing was when people were investigating it, the people kind of, you know, verifying him actually did also do a paper that showed exactly what the probability of yes. was of, of getting that level of whatever Ender Pearl drops all in a row. And I think it was something like a quadrillion to one. <laughs> right. So yep. it's possible. That, that was an it's... important step I skipped over because, yeah, it was pretty conclusively demonstrated that it was cheating. And then the argument that I made was like what Dream commissioned someone to write that paper for him or something. And they're like, yeah, but one in a quadrillion chances do happen every one in a quadrillion times. So maybe this is just that one in quadrillion time, you know? Just maybe, the... <laughs> maybe Dream's number just came up right now and he just got lucky. Yeah, it just happened to be the most famous Minecraft streamer of all time or whatever happened yeah. to get the most lucky drops of all time. Sure. Considering so, a, anyway, a Minecraft speedrun still takes like, what, maybe 15, 10 or 15 minutes to do if you're like good at it? Mm -hmm. Times a quadrillion tries. <laughs> it's probably like yeah. more more time than like the universe has existed. Yeah. And so the other thing is, uh, when he was originally confronted with this, he responded by doing what any sort of rational, innocent person would do in, you know, deleting all of the evidence that he would have to, you know, demonstrate one way or the other as to whether or not he was cheating. Yeah, he's um, acting like a real innocent person, especially that getting really defensive yes. and, and, and abusive yes. about it. Very innocent. Um, yep. Um, and then eventually, like, someone demonstrated either by sort of looking at previous videos or something here are the mods that are installed. Here's the way that they are changing the probability of drops. Um, and then uh, eventually Dream was like, yeah, whoa, that must have been installed and I must have accidentally left it on. My bad, but you all suck for questioning me. How dare you? So, cool. yeah. So, so what, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is he definitely seems like an you know, A-plus great standout character. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I feel like that's, is the sort of personality that very often will end up being, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to make any sweeping generalizations that I'm going to regret because I really don't know shit about this culture or the people involved in it. It's uh it's internet drama though. It's tasty. Yum, yum, yum. Yes, it's true. It's true. And on top <laughs> of that, I'm super summarizing this. I don't understand any of these sort of like speed runs of the people involved. I have very little to no context or direct interaction with any of this. So what you're hearing here is third, like third-hand information. This is like it's, you know, it's too late, Trevor. Fresh, you, this is like the the dream. The dream stands are going to come for you. You're you're canceled. It's true. I, I'm, I regret to <laughs> inform true. you. This is like quadruple refried beans here. You know, the, the, like the the refried beans have been refried again. And you're getting that information directly <laughs> from my mouth, baby bird style, pre-chewed for your digestion. Straight mouth-to-mouth -mouth indignation ready for you. That's what podcasting is all about, I think. Yes. Hey, yeah. um, but we can, we could, we we can could have all this... of our fans fight with all of Dream's fans. You know, it'll be yeah, a great, perfect. great contest. Get really the hashtag out. <laughs> Dream versus Radmars. <laughs> hashtag. Um, hey, you wanted to? We we could probably turn this 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 uh, episode into a damn speedrunning uh, episode. 
but we did have a topic in mind. Shall we talk about that topic? I guess we should. Yeah. I wanted to talk yeah. about, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about world building. It's a thing. Uh, I was watching a, uh, I've recommended this YouTuber actually before, uh, Hello Future Me. And hey, check this out. And he does a whole like series and he has a book on it now on world building. And um, it's it's just kind of cool to see how, I guess, I don't know if I would say in recent years or maybe maybe recent decades now, it has kind of become its own craft. And what world building is, is simply um, inventing a new world. Uh, and it's often used for, you know, f- uh, uh, fantasy and sci-fi um, to, you know, create some sort of fantastical uh, uh, realm or, or place for like a story to take place. Um, I would say that maybe the first world builder or one of the earliest uh, well-known ones is Tolkien, right? And he made Lord of the Rings. And one of the interesting things about Lord of the Rings is that even though he started with The Hobbit, when it came time to like, I, I, might, I might be getting this this history wrong, but, um, you know, he primarily designed the world and then the story after the fact. You know, he invented languages, he invented the geography of, of Middle-earth, uh, and and the the story was kind of in service to the world that he was designing and kind of imagining, not the other way around, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Ford, you were making a face. Did I get that wrong? Did I get that like super wrong? No, you're fine. I just thought of a really <laughs> stupid joke that I probably okay. wouldn't say. So oh no, mind. that's a, hey, no one else is here to bring the stupid. And as agreed previously, it is on the role <laughs> of everyone who's not talking to bring the stupid. It's All true. Right. I'm going to say my dumb joke then. I was, at first, I was thinking, like, Tolkien is really Tolkien the first world builder? And, like, there's been, like, you know, the Homer and, like, I don't know. I mean, that's that. God, just, just really God was the first that's, world builder. That's what I was going to say. God was the first world builder. You <laughs> <laughs> and he was yeah. quite a speedrunner as well. You know, he got it done that's in, true. like, six days with a yeah. day to spare to just sit on his ass being, like, look at the great shit I made here. Oh, man, yeah. you have really stitched this episode together with that reference. Thank you. Yes, the current standing, long-standing world building any percent world record is six days, and no one has beaten it. <laughs> world day. building speed running. It's very nice. Ah. Um, but yeah, when you get down into world building, it's like such a cool rabbit hole to go down because what it really means to build a world is like building so many different things like different interacting systems and and the, and if you're doing it right you know you're, you're being like really thoughtful on like every single level um you know Tolkien did it with uh with with geography he did it with culture he thought about the history and even like the cosmology of, of middle earth um you know it, it boils down to things like religion and commerce and like you have like it's like the more you know about literally everything the more you can like put that into your world building and i always found that like a really interesting and cool thing just as someone who like like i like to know lots of different things about many different things so when you can kind of bring lots of different types of knowledge to bear in an activity uh it's like a really attractive thing or have you guys ever uh i don't know either appreciated a, a like a, a someone's world building or even done it yourself so this is a bit of a sort of annoying pedantic uh mish- mashery but i think it's important just that we're all talking about the same thing so I feel like there's different degrees of world building. There's like when you're creating an entire world, whole cloth, like Tolkien or God. Um, and then there's <laughs> the also... the same tier. <laughs> exactly, you know? Um, and then on the other hand, I think there's also like, you know, creating stories within a pre-existing world or like, you know, creating an additional sort of like environment within that world. 
Um, so for example, like the one thing that came to mind when we were talking about this earlier was I ran a D and D campaign where I just sort of, you know, invented a town and, you know, you know, some commerce systems from it and, you know, happy to go into more details, but I sure as shit didn't come up with the entire D and D setting, all of the races and whatnot, but I used all that as a starting point and did a little bit of world building light in order to tell a story within that world. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I think it's still, I don't know if it, I don't know if I'd say it's like different degrees. It's more of like different methods. Sure. You know, your world can kind of reveal itself uh, mm-hmm. as you go um, versus having it all prepared in advance. Um, isn't there like some like, it's a bit stupidly made me think of some, I'm going to say Buddhist saying, or maybe, I don't even remember where I came from, but it's basically like within a grain of sand, you can see the whole world. And like the wisdom there is, of course, that like that grain of sand was once part of like mm-hmm. a larger piece of rock and that rock was part of the larger whatever. And that was part of the whole earth. And yeah, and it's kind of like a similar idea, right? Even even the tiniest little thing about a world could give you insight into what the rest of the world is like. Yeah. I don't know. Like... What, I, what I think of when you say that and also what you're saying before, um, and I'm not going to talk about it too much because we've talked about him to death in previous episodes is Sanderson, because I figure he's a very good <laughs> example of world building of a particular type. Um, because basically the way he goes about it is he comes up with a very sort of interesting set of rules for a magic system, which is very sort of consistent. And then he goes and based on that creates like an entire world that people you know inhabit that is, are shaped by that magic system. And you know, it's beyond things just like, oh, yes, you know, we make our tea by using magical fire in order to heat up things. You know, it's not boring things like that. Like in one of his worlds, Roshan, there's, um, I think, uh, the Everstorm or the High Storm. High Storm. There's an Everstorm later. Um, and it's basically Spoilers. a storm. Which, yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, the High Storm is circling the world constantly. And so, like, every, like, couple of weeks, the High Does Storm it- will... <laughs> Does it get you high? Is it made out of the, the the fog of of pot smoke? Just the weed storm. <laughs> it's more like you know, like electrical energy, like sizzling magical refill your magical batteries, which is what it does actually. Ooh. Um, but the thing is, for example, the the high storm always goes no the ever. Yeah, the high storm. Uh, whatever. <laughs> the, the thing is, there's two storms, and they're named in a way that confuses me because I think the Everstorm is the newer storm. And I'm like, hey, but it's the Everstorm. It should have been around forever. But you're saying that it's the newer one, and the high storm is the one that's been around forever? What the fuck, man? Be consistent with your world building. I think um, he was in the high storm before he named them. <laughs> I think you very well may be onto something. Anyway, uh, the point I was trying to make here was that this storm is constantly going around the world and it hits everywhere every like every two weeks or so but it always goes from like east to west but the result of this is that okay trees are no longer really viable because there's this really disruptive storm that would like destroy any sort of like you know large wooden object and so instead all of this sort of like flora and like the uh no yeah the fauna yeah i think that's what I mean. fauna and flora well, if I say flora and fauna, I mean, it is true that both the flora and fauna are adapted to it, but I was just trying to refer to the plants that sound pretentious while I was doing it. But now I'm confusing flora and fauna, so, you know, it's too late. Flora, sure it's flora is like flowers, flowers is and fauna yes. are like fawns, like little yes, baby deers. Yes. So anyway, all the flora um, are, have adapted to this by being sort of like either, you know, very sort of pliant or they retreat into the ground in response to disruptions. Um, and also like the way that people built their houses 
is adopted the um, high storm in that um, the roofs are always angled against the storm and the one that, you know, the way that it goes is flat on the other end. But there's just all these sort of interesting details about the world in terms of how humanity has, you know, how like it's affected ecosystems, how it's affected humanity sort of like architecturally. He just goes down into sort of like all sorts of deep down nitty gritty detail as to how all of these various, you know, systems of the world are affected by the existence of magic. You know, you take this one basic, you know, change and then you see all of the consequences of this, which I always thought was very interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. And just to put myself on the same level as Sanderson, mm-hmm. uh, my own this is sort tier of two. World build- like you've got yes. God and Tolkien, and then you've got Sanderson and Trevor, tier two. Pretty much. Excellent. Um, so, like, I've run a grand total in my life of one homebrew D&D campaign. I probably should have done the module instead so that I knew, you know, what I was doing and could have, you know, pre-balanced encounters and whatnot. Um, side note, if you ever want to run a D&D campaign, do a pre-built module first and then do a homebrew one afterward. It's a great idea. Um, but anyway, I had fun with this any, uh, coming up with it on my own. But I sort of had a far less ambitious idea Um which was thinking, you know, hey, in all these D&D systems and whatnot, there's, you know, all these necromancers and whatnot going around doing evil and whatnot, bringing up zombies and skeletons running around and whatnot. And, you know, okay, great, they're tools for war, but really, if you can, like, raise the dead, you've got a real good source of, like, unending, perfect labor that you could just be doing over and over and over again. And I'm like, so what if you have someone who's, like, a really powerful necromancer but isn't really interested in taking on the world, but instead just, you know what, really likes wine and wants to make the best wine in the world. And also she's immoral because she's a vampire, because why not? Um, And then therefore, like, basically enslaves this entire town, but does it in a way, specifically in order to make the finest wine possible using the unlimited labor of the undead. So wait, does she have to... Why does she have to enslave a town if she has undead? Does she kill the town and then raise them as the dead? Uh, not really. And I mean, it's also the sort of thing where, like, the town... She doesn't actually have the town... Well, it's one of those things where the town isn't technically is it like, enslaved. Is it like Hershey, Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's it's more that sort of situation where it's a willing <laughs> subjugation, I guess. Yeah, okay. Because it. it's like, you know, hey, yeah, she brought in zombies, but she brought in so many jobs as well, you know? She did some yeah. bad things, but she did some good things, too, for the economy. Um, this is which was actually, neoliberalism, the D and D campaign. There's a little bit of that, actually. Um, one of my favorite parts is like after all of the PCs who are also doing their own uh, world building by making really interesting and sort of crazy characters, but after they finally overthrew the um, you know big bad uh, vampire lady who was you know running the wineries, um, then the town's like, oh shit, you know the person who's been running this place for like the last several you know, 100 years is gone. What are we doing now? And then the adventurers being, you know, modern sensibilities and whatnot, we're going to have elections. And so one of them is like, okay, great. I'm going to create the People's Conservative Zombie Party. We believe in the (laughs) effort and value of conservative, you know, like legacy zombie labor. It's how we built this town before. It's how we can build a brighter future for this town as well. They're like, what? Zombie Party? Oh, and then the campaign <laughs> ended. 
And I thought it was a great place to end it because you know, who knows what the campaign happened? Who knows who wins that campaign? Who knows if they managed to go off in a new direction or if instead, you know, the adventurers leave um, having basically just sort of like, you know, handed over the place reins of power to a much less capable necromancer. Right. Because the other option could have been they could have been the leaders of the town. Like they kind of had the option to almost like take over. It's true. Like a, they could have been the caretaker uh overseers whatever you want to call it it's true originally they were paid to sort of rescue a sort of you know a winemaker's daughter who was interested in investigating this place but you know they could always you know return get the bounty and then come back and then take over the place so you're see the the you kind of you did like the grain of sand method then you were like what if undead were used as unlimited labor that was kind of your yeah. starting point of this very cool right <laughs> And I mean, basically I guess sort of really going just like... off of that. And also like, you know, the cons there's like a lot of this sort of like consequences and like, yeah, I, I'm being kind of not exactly as clearly articulate as I would like to be. But yeah, that was the sort of like the core idea that sort of like branched down to other ideas like, okay, so you also have vampires who are around for, you know, hundreds or, you know, of years or whatnot. And so you can imagine mm -hmm. them having a very powerful influence over the community. And, you know, how, what are their sort of like, you know, mental states going to reflect on the community? And in this instance, I had the vampire be very OCD to the point where she like required the town to build itself in an entirely symmetric way. So if someone wanted to build like a food stand at one end, they had to get another food stand at the exact same thing at the other end of the town as well. The symmetry must be maintained. Um, so I feel like that's a little bit less interesting, but it's just sort of like, you know, what happens when you have someone who's, you know, has absolute power over a town like that and who's also a little bit crazy? Nobody's yeah, ever sweet. explored that space before. <laughs> well, it's good. It's uh, good, like a vampire, the throwback vampire lore, right? Isn't there some old, old Dracula thing where if you like spill a, a, a bag of rice over the ground, he has to go count how many there yep. are? Oh, nice. Uh, also, I mean, like, that's... count from Sesame Street. <laughs> is, that, Same thing. is that where that came from? Oh, my God. I think I think so. Wow. Um, that's a, I mean, that's a good point about world building in general, right? Is like using real life as a starting point and inspiration, you know, you can learn a lot from how, and yes, real life, meaning real vampires, <laughs> real life vampires <laughs> that have actual OCD. Exactly. Um, no, I was actually thinking like one of the, I, I feel, I feel like one of the top tier world building examples is the avatar, of the last airbender world, mm -hmm. um, super well thought out and, and, and just inc incredibly well done. Um, and of course it gets its starting point from a lot of real life things, right? One of the first things was like, what if, what if instead of a, a fantasy world based on like European cultures and tropes, we did one based on Asian cultures and tropes and like kind of did a mishmash kind of like a, how a lot, a lot of our, you know, Western fantasy is a mishmash of, of European cultures. So you have all these different nations, uh, fire, earth, air, and water, and they're kind of each loosely based on a real life culture, right? The, um, the uh, the water tribes are kind of based on like uh, uh, the Inuit, and the Fire Nation is like kind of like the Japanese. The Earth Nation is like the Chinese, and then the Airbenders are kind of like Tibetan Buddhist type people. And right, and, that, and they have like some visuals, and 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 their geography is similar too, right? Like the Airbenders live up in the mountains. The uh, Earth the, the Earth Nation live in like big the, the big continent. The the water people live at the poles, and then um, the Fire people live. Uh, at the, like the volcano, volcano, uh, volcanic archipelago there. That's the word I'm trying to say, 
right? And then and then they kind of like build it from there. I thought there was a, like a very and it, every detail they did was like uh, then a natural consequence of like you have this world, you have these cultures, and they have these superpowers of of air of of different types of bending. How does that influence their culture? How does that influence their like even their technology? Um, there's just so many cool different things. Uh, like the Fire Nation, right? They have fire bending, so kind of like what you were saying, that boring thing where they can heat up tea. You know, they could also heat up a steam engine, right? And so they have like steam power in this sort of pseudo, uh, I guess, medieval kind of world, and and that's kind of one of the reasons they have the military might to then conquer the whole world for for the bigger part of the story. And this I, is a great opportunity to tell Trevor why the after Last Airbender is great. <laughs> and, and I think this point was already made in a previous episode, but I thought it was good enough to uh, repeat here in the context of world building. Uh, the Airbenders as well are, you know capable of basically flying around under their own power because they can bend air. And as a result, their temples are built for people who have the ability to fly. And so they don't have the traditional sort of like steps and, you know, sort of like means of navigating around that you would if you, for instance, couldn't fly. Right. Yeah. No stairs to their temples. Um, Yeah. The Hello Future Me guy does. I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of things that he's already talked about, but, um, it really gets into the it really gets into the deep weeds, and and the more you learn about the way they've constructed their world, the more you realize just how crazy well thought out it is. I also find it really fascinating how a lot of different people can start with the same, you know, series of myths and then go out in completely different directions. Specifically, what I'm thinking about is Greek mythology because it's so incredibly ubiquitous um, in Western culture. Mm. And then all the sort of like modern-ish reimaginings of it. Like, for example... uh, Disney's Hercules? Okay, that was one I haven't (laughs) seen, but I'm sure it's a particular interpretation of it. That's very different than the others I'm thinking of, which are specifically Hades, you know, the uh, roguelike video game, uh, which is sort of like an interesting take on it. And then also God of War, which is another very different take on uh, the Greek pantheon. Yeah, you can. Uh, I mean, in each each take is like a different, uh, like a different tone, right? They kind of yes. like, what if we did this, but it was just super mega fucking violent, and then you get God of War, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> or if you hate Disney, you go, well, you know, Hades is the god of the underworld, so clearly he's the bad guy. Let's make him the villain. Even though in like mm-hmm. actual Greek mythology, he's not really a villain at all. He's like the only one that like isn't a total hot mess, to be honest. Kind As of a side note, I, I was recently listening on audiobook to the Odyssey um, because it's a book that I read back in high school as part of a standard curriculum, and you know I, I haven't really gone back to the source material, quote unquote, since then. And my God, the gods are such assholes. They really are, and, aren't they? And, and what really strikes me, though, is that, like, despite the fact that the gods are such assholes, all the mortals throughout the entire thing are like, well, I can definitely be comfortable in the fact that if I am met with injustice along the road, the gods will avenge me because the gods care so much about justice. That is what <laughs> they do. And I'm like, wait, what? You're talking about the gods that just basically smashed up your ship because you didn't like the way that you kind of looked at her sister or something like that. Like, no. Oh. Yep. And in the real, in the real, uh, quote unquote, real life, the real actual historical account of Hercules, mm-hmm. um, uh, Hera, the goddess, like the right, Zeus's wife, I think, right? Yep. Uh, she is like his villain. He, she's like constantly trying to kill him. She hates him so much because I guess he's like a bastard child of Zeus, 
And I remember like, I don't know, I remember reading like the, like a kid version of Hercules and being like, why is, why is Hera so bad? Why is she such a mean person to him? She's like sending like snakes and lions to like kill him and his like, I think, I think he had like a wife and children and she got them murdered. It's some, it's some messed up I, I, shit. I think she drove him insane to cause him to murder them. So like, oh, Hercules Jesus. murdered his own wife because Hera drove him insane, I think. Uh, that is ringing a bell and, and somehow that made it into the kid's version that I read. And wow. now I'm remembering this repressed memory. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're off the topic of uh, world building. We're talking more about just like mythologies. Although it's... It, I mean, mythologies uh, are just world building as well, you know? Uh, although it's harder to name, you know... I mean, who from Greek mythology are you going to put up with God from, you know, sort of like standard Christianity? Because like, you know, they didn't sort of like create the world. They just kind of, you know, fucked around in it. Zeus in particular. Oh, uh, like the Titans, I guess? Gaia? <laughs> yeah, sort of, kind of. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. not quite as, yeah. Goddamn, when, you know, sort of like, pant, you know, multi, polytheistic uh, Christian or polytheistic uh, religions. I, uh, this is actually making me think of, maybe this is like one last thing we can maybe talk about. Is, uh, do, you, do you guys know much about the um, Warcraft lore? Like the, the <laughs> amount of world building that goes into the, into the Warcraft lore? Some of it, yes. It's like kind of bananas, yes. Um, uh, especially because I don't even know. Like, it's one of those things where it clearly it, they started with the grain of sand, which was like orcs versus humans are at war, right? Mm-hmm. And then somehow it has gone from there, starting in like the '90s or whenever the first Warcraft game came out. Nowadays, the the Warcraft like lore and cosmology is about like planet, like like godlike beings living as like larvae inside of planets and they the like whole like orchestration of every single con uh, conflict that ever took place in the main world of azeroth is because azeroth itself is a dormant sleeping titan and then this other titan over here is like the bad guy because he actually thinks that they're you know because they're he, he thinks all life and all titans should be killed because they're corruptible from like the void or whatever um, and and you even like step back a, a, a like a, a thing before that, and, and the source of all contact of all conflict in in this universe is simply the fact that there is light and there is void, and they are in conflict, and that's like literally it. It's like and and everything stems from that. Yeah, I, I actually was spending a chunk of time about a week ago uh, reading up on a World of Warcraft uh, uh, Wikipedia, not Wikipedia, well, whatever, some sort of like you know Wikipedia type site. Um, they call them wikis yes I'm (laughs) side note as you may or may not have noticed I'm really tired and slightly incoherent today it's Um, perfect so yeah I was reading up on a World of Warcraft uh, wiki uh, on the lore I haven't played it in several years and I'm really curious what's happened I've loved the time that I've spent playing World of Warcraft and you know the various Warcraft uh, franchises but dear god you know blizzard can't tell a story to save their life um and it's like it 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 shows so clearly that they don't really have a long-term plan for what they're doing they just sort of like respond to their latest marketing surveys in terms of you know who's our most popular character who do we want to give most more airtime to right now is it sylvanas the answer is sylvanas it's always sylvanas yes yes let's make sylvanas more important guys Right, and that's basically like what I was reading in the you know wiki articles and whatnot, and I'm like, okay, so now she's the you know most important. Oh wait, now they're gonna potentially turn her back from a villain into a hero again. 
I guess they can, because why not? Because, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and that thing that she did five years ago, like, yeah, it turns out that was totally a long-term plan to build up power so she could betray everyone to do such an X, Y, Z. And it totally isn't something that we just decided on right now and retconned in, you know, in order to, you know, shoehorn it into the current expansion and whatnot. It's like, yeah, like for all the money that they make, for how much talent they are hiring, how do they not hire better story writers? But like, I don't know. But don't, don't you think that like the eternal cosmic battle of light versus void culminating in the void lord sending corrupted old gods to sleeping titans who are conflicting over whether the titans should exist or not and whether azeroth the sleeping titan should exist and and whether the health of 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 her i think she's a her is doing good and 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 then and, and the void lord sending things to corrupt her and other things happening and that's why you have to kill boars in goldshire it's a fucking shitty story, man. Right? I don't really care about any of that <laughs> shit. It's like, okay, planets hitting planets hitting planets because planets bad and good and whatnot. You know, it's like there's a reason why in all of these historic, you know, uh, pantheons established in these various religions, you give the gods human forms so that people can relate to them and kind of be like, oh, wow, look at that crazy thing Zeus did because he's kind of like a person and I can kind of relate to that. But then instead, now you've got the light and the darker fighting. What does that mean? I guess the light is good. Go light. I, I guess I don't want Maybe. the dark to win. Probably not. It's, it's like that shit isn't relatable at all. And like, it's not really interesting. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It, it, they, 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 but they did add a lot of layers on it. It's just weird to think that you can actually step back and find the causality but from the complex, cool interaction between dragons and orcs and portals and corruption all the way back to that thing. Right, but here's the core problem I have with it. Like you say, there's a lot of layers to it. In the same way that a house that has been occupied continuously for 50 years, and every person who's moved into it has decided, you know what, I really don't like the color of that paint over there, so I'm going to paint another one on top of it. And repeat that, you know, two times a year for 50 years or whatnot. And all of the walls are suddenly, you know, a little bit, you know, smaller. The Why are you describing every New York City apartment I've ever lived in? Stop. <laughs> I feel personally attacked right now. And so you basically got like a lead poison based, you know, like everlasting gobstopper of paint, like slathered on the walls. It's and delicious. It's, right. And it's the same thing with the World of Warcraft storyline. They're just like, okay, we had an expansion. We had a story. Now let's take all the shit we dumped on you there. And then let's add some entirely new batshit crazy thing that we did just now in order to up the skate st stakes. Oh, wow, we were worrying about continents before. I guess we're worrying about planets now. Oh, we did planets last time. I guess we're worried about the universe now. Oh, shit, we did the universe already. Now it's life and death and good versus evil and light versus darkness. And it's like, what are you going to do? It's going to be the shmurger shmurger. <laughs> You know, it's, it's actually be what the... they did. What they actually did was completely disregard all that setup and just go, you know what? Now there's a ghost world. We're going to the ghost world now. Ghost world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not I to mean, start this... a, sorry, not to start a whole tangent, but it reminds me of kind of the stuff that comic books do, right? Where even more now we're seeing this in the MCU movies is like, oh, we, the stakes were so high. We had to blow up the whole universe. And now there's a multiverse. Oh, there's different. Yeah. Oh, look, your friend, your favorite character from, from before Iron Man is, is from a different universe now. That's cool. There's is this the third? There's 10 Spider-Mans. 
I mean, this is such a fucking common problem in any popular uh, entertainment. It's like, you know, the new Star Wars movie. It's like, you had a Death Star before? What do you think about a Death Planet? That doesn't just blow up one planet at a time, but 20. Oh, you don't think that's cool? Now we got Star Destroyers that can blow up planets. And we got thousands of them right down here at Ron's used Star Destroyer Planet Destroyer Emporium. Right past five and eleven. Man, I remember when I was a kid, and the first time I saw that scroll, that was like a new, bigger Death Star. I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> I was like totally down for that shit. <laughs> something happened in the, you know, twenty something years in the uh, in the intervening time. Yeah, yeah, and you're an adult, and you watch The Force Awakens. You're like, "Oh great, it's a Death Star." Yeah. Oh great, it's Palpatine. It's original. Yep. Except yep. now, force lightning isn't just for electrocuting individual people; it's for electrocuting entire goddamn armadas. Yeah, why not? That's how much the stakes have increased with the force. The force is serious business. This is a whole. This is a whole other topic called uh, power creep, right? Yep. <laughs> not it, sure which, it. It's very relevant in world building. It's a. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a goddamn trap, and everyone falls into it if they I don't know. know what the hell they're doing in the long term. Spoilers, most people don't know what they're doing. And it's like, oh, God, we're successful. We didn't expect this. We don't know what to do now. Quick, up the stakes. Yeah, it's too bad because really, like, even even if you make the most fantastical, amazing, creative world, it's still going to be more interesting when you focus on human stories within that world. Not like, you don't have to get all big and cosmological. Really, you, like, you want to just be focusing on, yeah, the stuff that is really compelling about human interactions and, 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 and playing with what, what, human interactions would look like in that world should, should really be the focus. And I kind of think yeah. what's interesting about what we're talking about here is I feel like a lot of that power creep, a lot of that upping the ante, it's not about artistic vision or anything like that. It's about the intersection of art and money. Because it's like, yeah, you want to have a sequel and you want to have people come out. And how do you up the stakes? Well, market research shows that people are more interested when things are, you know, the stakes are higher. So let's raise the stakes. Boom. Yeah. And it's not to say that there isn't a role for market research and the like in these things. I can understand, like, at the end of the day, like, World of Warcraft is to make money. And if they have a totally incoherent, you know, cosmology, like, whatever, they're still making money. They don't really care. And, you know, when I was playing the game, I wasn't playing it in order to, for you know, experience an enriched, you know, world-building experience. But it's the world of Warcraft. How dare you? Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we've talked about several different types of worlds today. I think we've really, I think we've really learned something about worlds of Warcraft. Oh, Stealing yes. that joke from South Park. Shall we take a break? Oh sure. Yep. All right. And we're back. Do you guys want to do? Hey, check this out. Absolutely. 
I can get us started actually. So word on the street is this may have been recommended by other people or discussed in my absence in the last couple of episodes, but um, over the last week I watched the, uh, I think it's an Amazon Prime series, um, Invincible, um, which is a sort of mm-hmm. uh, interesting uh, take on the sort of classic uh, superhero coming of age story. Um, and I don't really want to go into much more detail than that because I feel like it's best experienced the less you know going in. Um, but it's a, it's a, you know, apparently a very good comic as well. I'm considering reading that because I don't really want to wait for however long it's going to be between seasons. But season one is out and it's very good and I would recommend it. The and author if, of the comic is the same guy who wrote The Walking Dead, right? Yes. And on top of that, one of the things I didn't realize, because um, I'm really horrible at recognizing voices, but anytime I would like pause the Netflix app, it would like, you know, identify the voice actors for various characters. I'm like, wait, what? I know like all of the voice actors. This is fucking weird. Um, And it's just like this random, it's not a random collection. It's actually a very strong cast of voice actors um, that include people like Mark Hamill was in it. I didn't even realize that until afterward. Um, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. He was a classic voice actor uh, yes. in the heyday of animated superhero stuff in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. He, he's absolutely terrific Joker. Yes. Um, um, but there's also like a bunch of other random people from like all sorts of genres, like uh, what's her face from Community? Um, <laughs> what's his face from... Alison that, Brie? Uh, Mm, the other one. Oh. Killian Jacobs. Yeah, that, that's her. Um, she has a significant role. Um, uh, what's his face from that television series my parents watched and I saw them watching? Uh, what's it called? Um, <laughs> a counterpoint. Um, this is why IMDb exists. <laughs> yes. Because also, I am terrible with names, as you might have noticed. Um, but anyway, suffice it to say, it's like, wait, I actually recognize a lot of these people. Oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned The Walking Dead. Like, I think, like, the... Glenn. The guy who... Yeah, oh, I forget his Glenn name. Glenn is, but, like, the yeah. main character's voice actor is Glenn from Walking Dead. Stephen so. Yoon? Yeah, it sounds right. I can believe it. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, well cast, well acted. I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between if it was shittily acted or well acted, but it seemed like it was good. It was enjoyable. Well drawn. Good art. Good story. Story is what I care about most. Good world building. Very good world building. Bam. And if that's not good enough for you, I'm going to recommend sleep because I haven't had enough of it. And that's why I'm going to blame all of my mental shortcomings today. Certainly not because I just have no capacity for remembering names whatsoever. Fair. Nice. All right. I'm going to also do a thematically relevant one to the first thing we talked about. And I know I've recommended some GDQ stuff before, but... There were a lot of really great runs this past uh, SGDQ. Um, there was uh, a bunch of rhythm game showcases, which was really cool. One of which is Dance Rush Stardom, which is a game where you like actually have to dance, <laughs> unlike DDR, where you just smack your feet on the ground. Um, so that was really cool to see. Uh, the Super Metroid uh, run was really good, we talked about. Um, Did they one... save the animals? Yeah, Save all... <laughs> Save has been winning like every single time this past few oh. years, so whatever it's people philistines they don't know what they're doing hmm. um but i think one particular really really impressive one that i think i will kind of recommend it's a primary one is a 70 star run of super mario 64 blindfolded this guy did a two-hour run of super mario 64 doing over half of the game without seeing the game 
It was incredible. So that's super cool. Wow. Didn't they have a speed run of Ocarina of Time blindfolded as well at some point? They may have been. Yeah, they may have been within the past couple of years. There's been a bunch of blindfolded stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think by the time this episode comes out, I'm sure all this stuff will be up on YouTube. So you can just kind of search for SGDQ 2021 Super Mario or whatever. Just just watch a bunch of GDQ stuff. It's great. It's a me, Mario. I can't see you. All right, I'm going to do, I'm going to go last. Um, because we're talking about world building, uh, there's actually a pen and paper game, like kind of like an RPG out there about world building. Like the activity that you do in the game is is collectively build like a history of a world. It's called A Quiet Year. And uh, the game is uh, kind of like played on a map that you draw over time. And you draw, and of course you draw cards that like kind of tell you what sort of thing you're supposed to do to the map and to the, the history and the society and it's it's like um it, it kind of takes place over the course of a like particularly historic transformative year in which something terrible is happening i believe um that like shapes the world that uh that the, the i guess the characters are are, uh, are inhabiting and you don't play as a character you play collectively with your with the other players as like a society and it's kind of an interesting take on it mm-hmm. and um I know about it because it is being used right now as the world building pre prologue to the uh, adventure zones next campaign called ether sea. And so they've been playing it, um, to, to build, uh, to build their world, um, mm. which is kind of cool. I think they finished, I think they actually, they finished the prologue. I just haven't listened to it all yet. And the first episode or two of the actual campaign has started. So I'll be curious to see how, uh, how they come connect to each other. Yep. Yeah, so that's called a quiet year. Cool. This is a bit of a throwback to the world building discussion as well, and uh, also a bit of a derail from current conversation. But I've always found fascinating some games which basically do nothing but world building, like Dwarf Fortress and whatnot, hmm. where it's like when you create a world, the first thing it does is a bunch of like programmatic, like algorithmic world building for you. And often that stuff isn't very interesting. It's like, you know, you know, Archduke uh, Dwarfen Ferdinand got assassinated in the year 777732 BC, um, and his successor was eaten by a hydra, uh, stuff like that. You know, it's like, boom, <laughs> and now maybe you'll find some artwork in the world that sort of, you know, uh, reflects some of that, th- those things. But I, I always find, feel like it's an interesting sort of intersection between, like, systems design in terms of building a system that generates a world for you but tries to do it in a way that's actually interesting in terms of, oh, you know, there's rivers in this world and there's settlements and trade and so on and so forth. And people get eaten by hydras on occasion. You know, that's what hydras do. Don't judge. Cool. On that note, I'm getting eaten by hydra. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Radhesian, also soundcloud.com slash adhesion and adhesion.bandcamp.com. Where can people find you guys? You can find me also on Twitter. I'm at the Brendo. Trevor, don't fall asleep. Uh, uh, working on it. I am also on Twitter at Heckbringer. Uh, this is an odd episode, so therefore it was edited by Andy Mindler, even though he's not here. He has right. no say in the matter. That's cool. fine. Thanks for editing this, Andy. And uh, music in this episode and all episodes is by Andrew Ford. Yes. And don't forget, you can find all of us on Twitter at Team Radmars, I think. 
And then Team Radmars, yes. And Radmars.com and Radmars.itch.io where you can play some games. Nice catch. I can't believe I almost forgot that. <laughs> cool. All right. I think that is the end. We've built our podcast world, and now you all have to live in it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a shit world. All right. See you guys later. Yep. Peace out.